Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast, making motorcycles great again. <laughs> That's good. It's topical. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. A little political. Yeah, it's sure. Getting a little like, a little like, <laughs> are we pro-Trump or not? I don't know. <laughs> I might be moving to Canada. <laughs> uh, Quentin, we haven't had a show in a while and I need to apologize to our listeners for that because it's mostly my fault. I've had a busy three or four weeks. I don't even know how long I've been gone. I've been on the road. I went to Italy twice. I went to California, North Carolina, up and down, left and right all over. Cackalack. Where in North Carolina did you go? Well, so I went to the Tail of the Dragon, oh. which is right on the Tennessee, North yeah. Carolina border. So we were... You're the only 10 I see. <laughs> that's a good... I, I guess... That's yeah. a good dad joke. Why not? <laughs> Why not? You know, it's been a while. Just every stupid pun this show has, I probably deserve. I have to do it anytime somebody says 10 I see. Tennessee. <laughs> At least you think I'm a 10. That's yeah, kind right? of flattering. Yeah, I'm you like, should. all right, everybody, you know... If, if things change in my life, like we can give it a go. I could totally be gay if it wasn't for the sex. Cause it's just, it's just hanging out with your buddies. So, uh, yeah, been, been a busy, busy, busy time. And we both apologize for, for not having, I don't apologize for shit. I just sit here and wait for the next time I can get in front of the mic, man. I, I know to, you've got a couple in the chamber. You probably could have popped out. I was trying to be magnanimous. So yep. thanks for ruining nope, that. Not going to happen. It's just, uh, when you fly coach in the middle seat, you just don't want to get any work done. Dude, really? Do you have to do oh that multiple times? Multiple times. It wasn't so bad. Most of my flights, I was like window or aisle, which was fine. But th- honestly, it's the time change and, and just the going and going and going. And then I think each trip, so I went to Italy twice. Each trip was like 19 hours to get there because I had to take like three or four planes oh, and layovers gosh. and all that. And you just get so de- dehydrated and tired and just everybody thinks it's gallivanting and it is there's some there's enough good that it's like that's rad i'm not complaining sure definitely not complaining but very often they're not thinking you're just looking at the rose-colored part of it which is the tuscan hills or ducati revs whatever world thing not the pain and anguish of of coach flying center seat bad deal right and it's it can be rough i get it the, the upside is from, I think, the rest of the year forward, I'm first class on Delta. Well, I was about to say, My I, miles how, how could you it. do what you just did and not have been like upgrade bump, upgrade bump, so, right? So before I moved to Portland, I was out of SFO or Oakland, which are like, Oakland is a hub for Southwest and, and SFO, SFO is, is a, United, right? Like everyone. Yeah, United's got it, but like everyone has a, a, not a lot of flights, not a lot. Everyone has a lot of flights out of SFO. Yeah. So I would just pick whatever was cheap. And I had like miles on like every airline and like enough to like get free tickets and stuff, but not enough to like level yeah, me up. to be ap- excellent. Yeah. But with Delta, like I think they have a partnership with Alaskan and they are buying Virgin. But like be- between that little kind of conglomerate that's coming together, like that's 50% of the flights out of PDX. And I've just been like yep. racking When up. I started with Ducati and I was already Delta, I had a family member that was involved with northwest a long time ago yeah and when they so there's it i've been i've been definitely veering towards that for a long time when i got the job with ducati it was just as much frankly because delta was most most of the time the easiest way to get anywhere from portland man and then uh lufthansa no klm well that's the thing so they're partnered with delta so that was the main one because i'd get that huge ten thousand mile bump every year by going to bologna yep every year and that would put me into whatever it was silver status yeah which was a 
puddle jumper plane first class ticket every time a lot so that was a nice thing yeah so now i'm delta gold and i'll be like delta platinum by the end of the year with the way things are going i i always look at that some people are like oh wow you're delta and that, that just means i travel too fucking much it's horrible oh yeah it's a badge of no a bad badge of courage it's like being really good at video games it just means you've <laughs> wasted too much of your life oh <laughs> uh, that's so that's topical right that's, now that's on that's on fleek poke your mon oh man uh so so all this talk of travel um means we've got a lot of a lot of things to discuss for yep. the, for our listeners so what we're going to do is i think we're going to break this up into two shows and on my honor we'll be trying to get the shows out within a couple days of each other if not a day of each other so we're going to record part one today and then i think tomorrow you and i quentin are going to record part two and we'll get them out this week so uh people can listen to those and then i think we're going to try and shoot for a more weekly scheduled program i know i'm here for another couple more weeks i've got another press launch towards the end of august but uh i think it's only gonna be a day or two in california so it shouldn't affect us too much i'll believe it when i hear it yeah i know right the best way for like me to like screw this up is to say it out loud because the second i say like oh i'll be out next week mm. Mm. i just tacked on like three weeks by saying that mm-hmm. yeah all right well this all i can do is power through and get in front of the mic and talk so let's get on it so so let's let's catch up on some some newsy stuff first that we've that we've missed and then i want to talk about the most recent thing I was just at, which was the Yamaha FC10 launch. Does that sound good? Right on. Let's do it. First off the bat, winglets have been banned from MotoGP. Sad. I have all the sads. I have all the sads too. For the for the biggest reason, it was something new that we could actually see development in that could trickle into first time the in any street. for a long time that you've seen that you could see it. Right, electronics has been. For, for a decade, like the thing every year, there's all kinds of improvements. We don't see that. It, it's the literal and figurative black box. Yeah. Like it's just things go in. You don't know. It's just ones and zeros changing and they're finding tenths of a second in that. Yep. All you know is on the, what you see on the lap. Did you lap see the, the video I posted of Iannone? It was a front mounted camera on, on his bike, which was really strange. I'd never really seen a, somebody from MotoGP just here, put a GoPro or whatever the heck it is on your bike and go for out these laps at the, at the Red Bull ring or whatever. Yeah. Red Bull ring. Right. And which is in Spielberg, which I always like, yeah, I have to like have like a a second, like Steven. Right. It's, it's cognitive dissonance. You're like, Mm -hmm. wait, wait, wait. So Spielberg, Spielberg, and they have him going around and the sound yeah, I saw the post. I think I was in an airport and didn't yeah, have like didn't get a connection. You should listen to it because I've never heard a howl like this on, you know, usually you hear wind noise and you can see in the shadow where the camera is, it's going to be a lot of wind noise. There's a sound to this that is of note, right? I should I should look at that because it sounds like, no pun intended, something I experienced when I rode the Moto Sys electric bike because I rode the E1PC from 2012, I believe. And that was the one with all the winglets on it. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed when I was going down the front straight on PIR was how I could hear the, the, the wind going around me. Like I could physically hear it, but the, the sensation of the sound was that it was above and around me and not like rushing past my helmet kind of very hard to describe that huh. in, 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 in part how it was in reality, but it was just very much like, this isn't the wind going past my helmet. It's the wind going past me total. It's, it's, it's farther away from me than, than just touching me. That makes sense. Yeah, I d- it does. Make so I'd be sense. curious to see if it's the same kind of sound or same kind of sensation. It's a re- weird whoosh, and you hear it come on at a very specific point of speed, and you hear it stand. And you know, it, it, it it's an interesting thing. And I, at first, I was like, ah, that's just my, that's just my imagination. But 
That was one of the last conversations I had with Michael Sisson. That's something that he wanted to talk about with right. us if we were going to do a, a a podcast was the dynamics of the winglets and and in general arrow and what's going on, um, which is something that I'm fascinated by, but I don't really know enough about. I can't comment. I'd love to be able to get somebody that really does know it or there's an aerodynamicist in some fashion that can comment on. Well, you see them going down the road. You see the springs aren't collapsed. We're not talking about hundreds of pounds of downforce, right? Otherwise, you'd see the 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 bikes squat a whole lot, yeah, and they don't. So we're we're playing with a very strange dynamic there. So it was interesting. So this will be fodder for for the next show, the follow up show to this. But I, I I interviewed Claudio Domenicali while I was in Italy, and we we talked briefly about winglets. And one of the things he was saying was the when you're on the gas on a straightaway, the 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 rear of the motorcycle squats. And the second you start doing that, that's how you start inducing the wheelie. Like you get wheelies when you start changing the center mm-hmm. of gravity compared mm-hmm. to the wheel, the the line of the wheelbase. So the advantage that the winglets were giving it was bringing force back down on the front end of the motorcycle mm-hmm. to keep that that center of gravity level. It was very interesting. But obviously, he was very upset with the decision by uh, the FIM and Dorna to to rule. To, to ban winglets. So the reason winglets are getting banned, like we should be clear. They're unsafe. Is because they're unsafe. and Which I think is BS. Which is BS. And, and the reality is it, it's total BS. So so this all started uh, in the way the way MotoGP works is called the GP Commission. And it's made up of the FIM, ERTA, which is the organization that represents the teams, the independent teams. And I think it's actually the Independent Race Team Association, but don't quote me on that. I've and, heard of them before. Oh my God. Just walked into that. <laughs> uh, and then there's the MSMA, which is the manufacturers. Yeah. So that's like Honda, Yamaha, Ducati. Now it's Suzuki, Aprilia, and KTM will come on board soon. And the usually technical items are the purview of the MM, MSMA. Mm-hmm. And then they have to come, they have to agree on things unanimously. So Honda was obviously a very poopy about the the winglets ducati's obviously very pro winglets i don't really know where they're poopy they had like the most winglets of all i saw like six or seven winglets on each side one time of the honda or well, they those, are, those they aren't winglets those are strakes and those ah, are different christ they're gonna have to make a differentiation between <laughs> well, strakes and winglets that's the whole thing so now like you know the way the rules written like they don't really have a good definition and what counts as a strake and what counts as a winglet and what's just a fairing and a body panel like it'll I don't think we've seen the end of this by any stretch of the imagination, but the the short version of it was Honda and Ducati basically started having it out uh, on on aerodynamics. Honda didn't want to have to invest in that. They're they were also the last manufacturer to kind of get on board with aerodynamics, mm-hmm. and they kind of politely at least at least it was imparted to me. The story kind of goes like uh, Honda boss comes over to Ducati and is like, you know, we have a wind tunnel. We've got a lot of money. Like, do you really want to? Do you really want to get into that with us? Because like when we go into something, we go full on. And, and I think Ducati was basically like, bring it. And they were looking at it as like, hey, this is, you know, we've 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 got motors with 270 horsepower. Like this is, you know, we have more horsepower than we know what to do with. We're, you know, pushing the limits on the chassis, but we have a minimum weight. So there's really nothing pushing us there to make a change. Like this is the only place where there's like real development going on outside of the electronics, which have arguably kind of hit their zenith on development and now we're just kind of fine-tuning new things out of it well mainly because of the spec ecu right right right. which everybody's obviously doing just fine with uh they're coping with it they're they're working they're figuring it out 
okay. as they as they will. So it was very much a two party battle, and then uh, Dorn was basically like, "If you guys can't figure this out on your own, we're just going to call them dangerous and nix the whole thing." Ah, and that's and that's where we're at now. Poopy. It's kind of poopy, and I think there's definitely some politics going on there. Like if you like if you wanted to make a good argument on how much influence Honda has in MotoGP right now as a manufacturer. And this is a really good example to point to. I'm not going to say that there's like foul play going on, but it just kind of sits there like that's interesting that you guys came up because like the safety issue is kind of a bullshit one. You can make winglets safe. You can make them break off. They they already do break off. Yeah, they already have a minimum radius. I've watched it multiple times when people talk about it. I'm like, look at this. It Yes, there's a f- off chance, but the same chance that one of those brake lever guards will go up somebody's butt in a exactly crash, right? they're just as dangerous as a windshield as a fairing as a handlebar right, give me a break you know at the end of the day we're racing motorcycles we're yep. not you know it's not golf it's not golf thank god it's not golf um so it's so it's a shame i look at this as it's a shame to see that that they're banning it because i was really excited to kind of see that trickle down into street bikes and we kind of see that with like kawasaki yeah. and the h2 right? and it and if you believe what we're seeing in the patents and and kind of like rumors and all that i think you're gonna see a lot more kawasaki bikes with winglets i wouldn't be surprised if the next ducati sport bike or sorry the, the ducati super, bike. super bike that's what i was kind of excited on it and there'd be a cool because the ones that are on the bike now the multiple stages with multiple tiers looks like a formula one i i'm sure hideously complex to to manufacture something like that um but really neat looking i think and different and right that's the way it goes right we don't it's race something. dustbin fairings but you kind of think that that would be one of the ways to go at some point in time. Aero is just... It's the most neglected thing on a motorcycle. Motorcycles are not aerodynamic machines in the slightest. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's Craig the Vetter's challenge. Been, that's something Craig Vetter has been harping on for, for years and years and years and years and years. I don't think we're going to see dustbin fairings. I don't want to see that. Although I think I've seen some, some dustbin concepts that look really cool. Sure. But, you know, I think there's there's definitely room for improvement. I think that's... It's the next thing. And, you know, maybe there are some people out there that are listening that don't know what a dustbin fairing is. All right. It's a fairing that essentially encloses the front wheel of a motorcycle. And they usually look like a very long proboscis nose, right? So it's a, it's not, most of the time it's not very attractive. But go, uh, if you're in front of the Googles, just Google 1950s 500 Grand Prix and or or moto guzzi v8 i think that's one of the best looking um uh, dustbin fairings that was ever made so moto guzzi v8 dustbin fairing and then go down the rabbit hole of a moto guzzi v8 because it's fascinating all right sorry uh moving on yep just a quick one harley davidson takeover rumors on wall street do you see that oh yeah didn't we already talk about that (laughs) you know we did well we didn't but asphalt and rubber did like three years ago or whatever it was (laughs) because this exact thing happened March, 2010, this exact situation where rumors on wall street were that KKR, which is a private equity investment firm was going to buy out Harley Davidson uh, through a hostile takeover and it sent Harley Davidson stock skyrocketing. And then like six months later, the sec investigated everything for fraud. It's the exact same thing that happened this month all over again. We saw a huge spike in Harley Davidson stock. Everyone's being like, no comment. We don't talk about this kind of thing. I guarantee you in like three months, six months, the SEC is going to be like, really, guys? We did we did this before. You're doing it again? Did you ever watch Wall Street, the movie? Yeah, but it's been long enough to where I don't right now. Blue Horseshoe. Oh, that's Anacott right. Steel. And you, you 
put that in the article. Yeah. And it's, I, it's I had to look situation. it up. I was like, okay, that's a fucking reference. That's a obscure reference. And I looked it up. I'm like, okay, right. So I looked it up, but not enough to really get it. What it what it what was he doing? Basically saying, This is what you want to buy, or yeah, you need so, to get out of this stock immediately. Well, yeah, like it was a Gordon Gecko thing, and he would tip off a newspaper like he was Blue Horseshoe, and he would just say, like, hey, I like this company. And that starts a rumor like, hey, Anacott Steel, they're in play, they're gonna get acquired, and that skyrockets the price and then he dumps his shares and makes a shit ton of money yeah it's the same kind of thing the story here is just the fact that like we've seen this exact situation six years ago and to see it happening all over again in the exact same way you kind of just like roll your eyes and be like really guys yeah and and for me it, it makes even less sense now because like harley Davidson is actually kind of doing pretty good they're not are they sales aren't like killing it but the company has been so keith wendell who came on as ceo during the recession did a really good job of getting Harley Davidson to the kind of company that it is now. Harley Davidson was geared up as a company that was built to make half a million motorcycles a year. The, the marketplace wasn't there for them though. They're more 250, 300,000 bikes a year now. And they needed to streamline their operations. They had to get rid of some of their facilities. Yeah. They had to renegotiate with their unions. We they talked had to about let go this with some the people. Buell, the Buell, they got rid episode, of Buell, right? blah, 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 blah. So, you know, they're, it's a pretty streamlined company. They've got a new CEO. Too bad their bikes aren't very streamlined. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. But they're playing around with electrics. They're they're probably coming out with an electric bike in the next five years. They're working really hard now in flat track racing. We just saw the new flat track racer. I think we've talked about that in the last yep. show. You know, they're doing some stuff. They're reaching out to women and minorities and younger riders, more so than I would say the bulk of the industry is doing. I'm not sitting here saying like Harley Davidson's this great company and they're doing everything right, but they're not a company that would make a great you know, hostile takeover target. Yeah. Um, so it just, it just kind of just hostile takeover. You want to see something that is undervalued, but undervalued, but it has potential, has good bones. Like you'd want to find something like where management's making mistakes or they're having cash flow issues or they had like just a bad year because like a hurricane came in and like knocked over a facility and they just don't have like the ability to rebuild it in time. Yeah. So you can you know, go you're, in, you're looking for a weakness that you can then, correct. Yeah. Okay. And it's just not there. Like Harley Davidson, yeah, they're not running on all cylinders, but they're they're going in the right direction. And I think they're Dude, they very only well have two situ- cylinders to run on, man. That's true. That's true. Well, you, you go down one a cylinder. It's a single. It <laughs> really? Dude, people are racing 600s now. They call it cripple triples. The cripple triple. And they're fast. <laughs> <laughs> you have to explain that. You have to explain the concept of the cripple triple. Right now? Yeah. It's so pretty cool. It is. And I hate it. It, it. it goes against most of the mechanics brain to disable a cylinder on anything and then ride it i mean it just it's just very there's a hate there from just the idea of that you are compromising this what was a very cool thing so you take one of the cylinders of any four cylinder inline and there are a lot of different opinions on which one you disable and a lot of people are like oh yeah take out the spark plug take out the take out the rod take out the piston take everything out which isn't actually a very good thing to do Apparently, the best thing to do is just to leave it all in there and disable the fuel and spark or leave it all in there with the piston uh, in place, but without uh, lobes on the cam. And there's there's been a couple articles I've read about how that works, because basically, you know, when you compress air, it turns into a spring, right? So the piston going up and down every single time acting as a spring, you get the energy back and the, the way the 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 pumping works by having that piston in the cylinder 
instead of, uh, or in, on the crankshaft with the rod instead of having a, a, an open hole is, is of note. So anyway, it's a very weird thing. And I, I know there's different rules in different organizations where you, you leave it and you're just disabling the fuel and the, um, and the spark and you're not taking the cam lobes off and what, what, it, regulating what, what you can, what modifications, what, which exact way to do it. But bottom line is you end up with a 450 CC or thereabouts three cylinder R6 GSX R600 uh, Honda CBR 600 RR. And I think a lot of people, most of them are using R6s because that's kind of the de rigueur 600 CC sport bike. The chassis are everywhere. Everybody knows how well, to set and them and up. They're making good power base. Yeah, yeah. So you get, I don't know how much horsepower that they're, they're running. I'm 60, 70, something like that. Probably more. I don't well, that's even what know. I say. It's like bike that's making maybe a hundred horsepower at the rear wheel. You leave, you, you do the cripple triple to it and it makes like, yeah, 60, 70. You take the, 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 the piston out completely and just make it a true three cylinder. And it makes like, let's say 50 horsepower. Yeah, like it's, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a power it's change notable. of note. Yeah. It's notable. So anyway, that's a thing that's happening and it, it's interesting. And part of me, you know, I had a six, seven, five triumph for a while because I like triples, but when you listen to them go, they don't sound that gnarly, like triple, they just sound off. But they're still they, high revving. They, they sound like an inline four with a cylinder that's yeah. not firing. Yeah, but even then, it, it's <laughs> weird. It it doesn't sound quite as bad as that. Well, it's because well, I mean, if you think about it, it's because the crankshaft isn't the same crankshaft as you would find on a triple. No, it's a different. It's a, it's a different phasing. Yeah. So you've got this weird non whatever it is two hundred and seventy degree or whatever the degree is of a good triple. Um, it's a it's a weird one. Um, yeah, I don't. Any interesting stuff. So bottom line, you do that to a Harley. And you get a single, and it's horrible. You get a single pumper. All right. Well, but yeah, this is, goes to another one, which is interesting in flat track racing in general, would be twingle. So twins, whether it be a, uh, a, a parallel twin, in a lot of cases was BSA, Triumph, you, you name the older engines, Norton, whatever, that w- they were using here and there for uh, flat track racing to get the power pulse right. You would run it so that, say in a V-twin, 45-degree V-twin, the pistons are approaching top dead center at the same time because the crank pin, the both rods are on the same crank pin. So when they go up, they're up. But in a normal V-twin, only one of them is firing when it's up there. The other one is on overlap, so it's a four-stroke. So in the suck, squeeze, bang, blow, the front cylinder would be on the suck, squeeze, and the rear cylinder would be on the bang, blow, or whatever, right? Well, you make them so that when they're both approaching top, they're both suck squeeze, and they're then they're both bang blow, and they're a twingle. Same goes with a, a 360 degree crank uh, parallel twin, where the pistons and rods go up and down at the same time, which is a paint shaker stupid design. But it it's a, a, of note. But they would do that, and you'd have one that's going and the uh, getting power. And then you do full rotation, and then the other one would go because it would be on overlap. The other one would be on overlap. So if you make them go at the same time, then it's just a gigantic single, and that would shake the thing to death. But it would give you the power pulse on the dirt that was good. Right. So that's that's another thing that you can do with firing orders. Is at, that like like in MotoGP we talk about Big Bang versus yeah, Screamer? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So on a on a four uh, a V four, and this was something that was very common back in the late 80s, early 90s with the Honda V4s, um, RVF 750s, trickled down to RC30s, RC45s, you'd hear screamer engines, which were very unique, screaming four-cylinder, four-strokes, uh, and then more of a droning sound. So it was it was all about the firing order. And, and McDuin's 
500 grand pre-bike. There was, I can't remember which one it was. He went from the screamer to the droner and then back to the screamer and he could beat anybody on either one. And sometimes I think they would just do it just to freak people out because it would sound so much different. A V4 two stroke 500, same thing, just the different phasing of, of where the crank and the pistons and rods would go, right? Sometimes all you need to do on a four stroke is change what the cams are doing. On a, on a, a two stroke, you'd have to change the crank phasing completely that's a it's a fascinating thing and it's a dynamic which is what you saw uh with why the yamaha r1 has a, a quote-unquote cross-plane crankshaft which is something we'll talk about in a few minutes because i was riding the fc10 which also has is this a good segue crane. into that or? no no because this is a good segue we just went tangent style into a mechanical no. thing which is good because i felt like getting into a mechanical no i'm glad you did because it segues really well into the next thing i wanted to talk about awesome which was honda abandoning the 600 cc super sport platform so says the internet <laughs> which which when i first saw it, i was like that's stupid that's not going to happen you know the more and more i talk to people in the industry it's like oh yeah that's happening really yeah huh which is which is interesting so 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 the story comes from mcn um british publication and they've got sources in the uk and japan saying that Honda's going to abandon the 600 cc super sport platform because uh the upcoming euro 4 regulations uh make it too difficult for them to make a, a compliant motorcycle and eventually the 600 cbr or the sorry the cbr 600 double r won't be legal to sell. I think they get a grace period of a year. They can file for a thing or maybe it's six months or whatever. But like after that, it's no bueno. And their big thing is they're saying that the volume in Europe doesn't support them developing a new motorcycle to meet Euro 4 and to make a new 600 Super Sport because sales are so down. And Honda's got this weird thing where like each region pays for like development on the motorcycles that come to it. It's like a hmm. confederacy almost. Hmm. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but hey, if that's how they do it, that's how they do it. So, you know, what's the matter? You don't like the Confederacy? I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> well, so, it's, I mean, so since we started out with a political thing on the start of the show, I'll give you a political segue. The U.S. started out as a Confederacy. Yeah, sure. Before, before we had a constitution as we know it now and all the Johnsons, there was like a 13 year period, I believe, we were a Confederacy and it was a total fucking shit show. Uh-huh. We had two, the, the government was too decentralized. We had different currencies. We had people that like weren't trading with other states. It was a total mess. You should, you should Google it. It's a really interesting part of Americana sure. that I think most people don't know anything about. That's all I'm going to say. Confederacies are interesting in, I, in, I, in idea. What's the definition of a confederacy? Is it very like, complicated? I mean, I think it's like good pornography. Like it's just difficult to describe, but like you know, when you, you know, see, you see it, it. Oh, that's a confederacy. And that's that's a, that, a shit that, show. That right there, that is a donkey show, yeah. and that is that is a confederacy, <laughs> and that is a confederate donkey. That is a donkey with tentacle porn going on at the same time. Oh, we went. We just touched a lot of <laughs> a lot of things there. No pun intended. I'm a sucker for it for oh, sure. Oh my god, oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> I've already done that one though, so sorry. Yeah. Right. Um. Anywho, where was I? motorcycles so this is this is a this is an argument from honda that we've heard before uh for a long time we've been hearing honda lament the declining sport bike market and we've heard like them not wanting to that, that was the big reason why they haven't updated their lineup in so long it's just, they're just saying basically hey no one buys these bikes anymore and we've kind of heard that in general from the japanese manufacturers but honda's been the one yelling about it the most or at least that's 
that's the talk in the industry. And I have issue with that because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's yeah. like, hey how, guys, if you how don't bad come out, are R6s selling? Are they really that bad? Sales are down. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, like, but I've is seen, it bad enough to where they're not making money off R6s? I mean, it's it's a constantly declining I'm, number. Yeah. But I'd here's like the other that. but the other part of it is like, well, if you don't come out with a new bike, yeah. In like eight years, you're going to see sales decline. And if you don't race and you don't get involved with it and the other manufacturers follow you because you're the big wig and then it, it, it seems to me it's an industry-wide self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. At the same time of that, you see... Um, you see the BMW S1000RR being the best-selling bike in BMW's lineup for a couple years. Yeah. You see the Ducati selling a boatload of Panigales when it comes out. You see... I was about to say you see Aprilia doing well, but no, <laughs> you both know that's not true. No, that, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's Even not though they have the best bike? They really do. But uh, the, uh, the R1, I would imagine, is well, pretty popular. So I mean, that, how many did they have to well, recall? And that's the <laughs> and that's the, the, the thing that kind of proves the point. We're like, okay, so Yamaha comes out with an R1, fucking just killing it in sales worldwide, just fucking killing it. So you're like, well... Maybe, guys, it's not the market. Maybe it's not the customers that don't want this. It's maybe just putting out a shitty bike. You've been putting out the same shitty bike for eight years. I shouldn't say it's a shitty bike. Honda CBR 1000RR, great little bike. Just haven't updated it in the yeah, better sure. part of a decade. And there's other bikes out there now that are like eclipsing it in performance. And, and let's be honest, this is, a, this is a segment that is driven by spec sheet. How much yeah. power does it make? How much torque does it make? How much does it weigh? What Wilsons and Bells do you got for me? Yeah. I want, we, I want my traction control now because everybody else has. I want we the control and I need this and that. And you got to have to keep up with that. I remember I remember Suzuki came out with a great ad and I think it was in Europe and was like, traction control, we've got that. It's right here. And they like this show the throttle. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny. That's cute. But you're also meaning the fact that like you're totally behind the times. Luddites. Yeah. I mean, like you just, I'm sorry, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight and you're complaining about losing harden the fuck up yeah a lot um, of this is I, I in my head was saying harden the fuck up, harden all, the fuck up. all of this is so it, with that leaves us with Yamaha, honda's lineup which was woefully inadequate and I, let me give you a little bit of a anecdote for that today i had a gentleman come in with an n sorry nc 700x no but it's not it was a ctx 700n which those the th- what we just said to each other that alone is failure, just right? It is. Yeah. So CTX 700N, which is one of these forward control sport looking, but cruiser. How, how do you even describe it? So it's one of the mo- most horrible bikes. I. It's it, one of those. It's one of those bikes from Honda that that straddles two different segments, and it's just kind of like poorly. And you're just kind of like, why did you build that bike? It's right. like like I don't want. Either of those things. And right. You just made both. So horrible. Look it up. Look at it. Be aghast at it. And then soak this up. So I'm the person comes in. It's a 2014 model. Two years old. Thousand miles on it. Had bought it. Wasn't too stoked on it for obvious reasons. Wanted to get something different. Had me look at it and price it out. So I'm like, wow, that's clean. Thousand miles, right? It's a it's a 700 cc bike. This should be worth at least five grand. Go into the cycle trader world and and this is a, a, a frankly it's a great way to gauge market for any bike because that's where most people are going nowadays online to look for bikes uh, cycle trader has it has it down most of the dealerships are on it a lot of good dealerships are it's just the way it goes so i go on and i see that i can't remember the exact number but there were a horrendous amount of these selling for two, in 2014 models selling new 
right? So for me, when I'm looking at these, I usually, if I have a 2014, it's rare that I have to segregate out new and used mm -hmm. with something that's two years old. Every mm -hmm. once in a while I have to, because there's old stock of Ducatis or BMWs, or maybe, but nothing like that. And there were like 220 of these things all listed as new in the network. And I'm looking at, I mean, the, I don't remember what the price was new, but it was $69.99, maybe something like that. So not very expensive, grid price point bike. And I'm looking at used ones selling for 4,200 bucks with low miles. And that was just like, oh, I felt so bad because I basically have to tell that person that I can't buy that bike for more than, I don't know, three to 3,300 bucks, maybe. Being generous. Yeah, and I, I was, right? And But sometimes you do it. You're trying to make a deal. You want to sure, be able to make sure. a deal. But I need to make margin on it once I have to resell it, right? So anyway, that was that that was to me just a, the, the, the sheer amount of them that had been, I know how it works, pushed into the dealer network. You've got to have these. You're going to have to take this. If you want that, whatever special bike, yeah. you're going to have to take five of these. NC, you want that bike? X, you, want an, you want an Africa Twin? You're going to have to take like five exactly. of these things you don't so, want. And, and I just boggles my mind that some bean counter in Japan is saying, well, this is what we need to do. And no, nobody seems to be listening. Or maybe it's bean counters in the U.S. saying, this is what we need for this market. I just don't think so. So I, I would love to know what the story is on that. And you look at an NCE. 700X, which is, you know, at least it's a little bit better, but it's still milk toast. Yeah, that's the most boring bike to ride. That whole line is really boring. It's tragic. Which is, so, which is tragic. And we have had this conversation before at some point in time on how disappointing Honda is, where they we will. talked about this on the Africa Twin show. Sure, because Africa Twin Because I rode all, the, I rode all the quote-unquote adventure bikes, 300, 500, 700. Yep. I forget how they, the CB 300 and 500X. And then the NC700X, I think I'm getting my models right. But that's the thing. Like, yeah, we're sitting here and I'm telling you letters and numbers. These are like the most soulless motorcycles. Soulless. No, no soul. Yep. All right. Well, that was my rant on that. And that's why I say from a 600cc standpoint, FU, I mean, I'm as a Honda, you both of us, F2 owners cut our teeth on cut F2. Cut our teeth on Honda 600 uh, CBRs. I mean, that was the hot <laughs> shit, man. When my I had a VTR 250, my buddy had a Hurricane, and that thing was the, that was it, right? That was amazing. It was a 600. It was rad. It was the hot stuff back in the early 90s. And mm -hmm. 600s, 600 RR. Even the only time there was a bit of a poopiness was the original F4, and it it was just kind of boring. Other than that, they've done a pretty good job of making them. Even an F4i was a little bit exciting. And when the RR came out, that was really exciting because it was super sport, and that was extreme for Honda at the time. They hadn't been making bikes that were crouch over full-on replica bikes. And then that got more extreme, but I don't think that that's taken away Right. You know, like I reject the whole premise. I reject the whole premise that this market doesn't exist. I think this is very much a creation of the Japanese OEMs because of the, in part because of the recession, but also because of their conservative nature. And two, because you know, the argument's like, well, these sales are going to leader bikes. Well, leader bikes have had more development, but two, like you haven't really given super sport riders a reason to pick a super sport over a leader bike, a 600cc class bike versus a thousand cc bike. And, and I think that's that's part of the detriment. Like the technology, the pricing is fairly similar. The weights are very similar. There's an engine difference, obviously. But I would like to see a company like Honda be like, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to put out a 500 cc four cylinder bike that's going to scream to 20,000 RPMs and it's going to weigh 300 pounds and it's going to blow your fucking mind." And maybe that's priced right at there at the same price point as a Honda CBR 1000, and like just 
give me the choice. Do I want a bunch of power? Or do I want like something really a scalpel, a scalpel? Yeah. You know, don't want to punch you in the face or slit your wrists. Well, for, for me, it was always, why not create a V4? Because uh, there was so much interest in the, um, well, enthusiast interest, I should say, in the NC30 and NC35, which were 400cc V4s. But it's it's expensive to make a V4 compared to a, a, an inline four. It, it, I, I raise my hands and say, so what? So I mean, that's like that's the thing. Like, I don't think, I think the biggest problem that this market has had or this segment has had is that this is supposed to be the watered down version of the superbike. You know, they don't come with electronics and have as many whistles and bells. You know, obviously they're smaller in capacity, but you haven't given consumers any reason to pick them over a superbike other than say maybe price and this idea that this is a beginner's bike and then you graduate to a leader bike. Sure. Reject that whole premise. Reject it and just say, hey, you know. This is going to be a completely different way of, of motorcycling. This is going to be a completely different way of track riding. We're going to make you a machine that's just as exotic and just as cutting edge as the leader bikes we're putting out, but in a different way. We're going to focus on lightweight. It's we're going to focus light. on revs. We're going to focus on maneuverability and let the consumers like say, look, what kind of rider do you want to be? What kind of track rider do you want to be? And then if it costs just as much or even more, I, I say I don't care because at the end of the day, like maybe it is the same buyer. And it's just divvying us up a little bit differently. And truth be told, you know, if you make a V4, a 500 or 600 CC V4 that screams to 20,000 RPMs, that sounds like a bike that's going to fucking dominate in World Supersport or in Moto America's Supersport class or wherever it's going to go racing. So what's the downside of that? And then that gets that racing class interesting again, instead of it just being like a stepping stone into like the bigger, the bigger leagues. Now it's a class that has its own presence and its own character and can be something like, Hey, I'm just as excited to watch the super sport race well, as I am the super bike race. Is that what we're seeing with the CBR 250 RR? I mean, I mean we weren't going to talk about it, but that might be a thing. I think we're getting, I think the CBR 250 RR, which will probably come out around the same time this podcast does is just Honda getting more competitive in that space. They came out with the CBR 250 single R and realized that they were woefully underpowered compared to what and not, Kawasaki and not enough Yamaha. R's. There wasn't enough R's, but Kawasaki had the better bike. Yamaha has a better bike. KTM has a better bike. And I think they were like, oh, crap. And I think the CBR 250 double R is the bike they should have come out with. I Are we ignoring the fact that they at least they have, and I, I have praised them for having a 500s, the 250s, the smaller bore, to build some enthusiasts. I, I, that's why I thought it was stupid that they would get rid of 600. I would just think that they're building these people over the past few years to graduate them into the 600, to then graduate them a 1,000. Uh, you know, after now that we've had a lull in the in the economy, we'll get it back up again, and they'll start selling those bikes eventually, and it's just a wave. It, yeah, in a sense. Um, my my biggest thing with the I don't I don't get the CB the CBR five hundred. I just don't. It's it's such kind of like a soulless, boring machine. Yeah. And to yeah. try and say like that's the same as like what the CBR six hundred is, like they're just like two completely different bikes. Like it yeah. almost doesn't like, I feel like there's this progression in a Honda's lineup. Like, Hey, I get on the CBR 250 and that's my starter bike. And then I graduate to the CBR 500. And then like, where do I go in your lineup? Like you don't, then I'm kind of just like lost. I don't think you necessarily go and graduate to a CBR 600. I think you're going to graduate to like an NC 700. Uh, or something, the CB, or, I don't know if you remember this, the CBR 650 F. There is that. And we had there one of those that. in the shop and it was a really, what it was, was, was strangely reminiscent of my F2. So similar F2s back in the day, even though those were the super sport race bikes, they were a pretty sit up sport yeah. bike, right? The yeah. bars were 
up above the top of the fork tubes and the CB650F, CBR650F, which has a torquier 600, it's, you know, the, its bones are a probably older 600RR engine and tuned for torque and a little bit more capacity. A bitchin' little bike, good looking, but not extreme. Mm-hmm. That would be one where you'd go maybe for some people if you wanted more of a pedestrian thing and you didn't want to get into a crouchy super sport bike. That's true. And, and you know, and that that works. I I just think at some point this this kind of like path of ownership that these brands are building just kind of gets watered down. It's like, yeah, I can see maybe the progression from a 250 to the 500, but I don't know if I see the progression from the 500 to the 650 per se. I think at that point, like you've been motorcycling three to five years or whatever, you should just buy whatever you want to buy. Like your your learning stage is done. Like you're you're a Jedi now. Go. Yeah, go I don't know it. about that. I think about me as an 18 year old having. You know, 10,000-ish miles on a 125, uh, 25-ish thousand miles on a 250 Interceptor, and then getting on a CBR 600. The the only reason I am alive is because I did step into those. And then I never, on the street, I went from an F2 to to a Ducati ST2, which really, frankly, was probably lower horsepower to weight ratio. And that was just where I bent, right? I don't disagree with anything you just said. I just don't think it's pragmatic. You know, I think there's just this idea of like eventually like mm, you're you're a motorcyclist, you have money, you can go buy whatever you want to buy. Like it's just, you know, like I definitely think newer riders should start out on something more novice oriented. You shouldn't just jump on like a super bike. Right. Um, although, you know, funny story, you listen, you listen to like these BMW dealers that are selling new riders uh, S1000 double R's and just saying like, well, you know, just put it in rain mode. It only has 100 horsepower. We talk about that very often with even ours, yeah. on the, with the Panagales, with the 959. You think a 959 is a beginner bike? Well, it is in the, in the oh, it's a super mid, right? That no, F, no. no. Yeah. You say, oh, yeah, go around and bullshit, you're going to go around in rain right. mode. Right. You're going to power up and go put yourself into a wall right. like that. So so I agree with that notion, like, you know, newer riders should start on, <laughs> on something newer. But, like, you know, what motorcycle on the market now doesn't do 100 miles an hour? You know, like you can get yourself into trouble on anything. At the end of the day, I think the biggest issue for new riders is what's between their ears. It's just making bad choices. It's not under, it's the lack of understanding of traffic patterns, getting themselves into bad situations, riding with people that they shouldn't be riding with, to be honest, that are going to get that emotional side going. Like, I don't really, I don't know how much of the issue is really the motorcycle per se, although I would still advocate for starting small and growing big, but you know what, after like a year or two or however much time that is, like, I think there's this point where you have to say, like, then go buy the motorcycle that makes you happy. Or you're, or I should say you're going to buy the motorcycle that makes you happy. This idea of like, oh, I've got to start at a 250 and then go to a 500 and then I'll graduate to a 650 and then maybe I'll be allowed to buy a thousand, but not a super bike thousand, just like a different thousand. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like finally when I'm like 50 years old, I can level up to the bike I want to buy. I'm like, that's just not pragmatic. That's just not going to work. Yeah, but for, you know, a even, I- even if that's, that's maybe the most, safest and logical path for people like it's just not you just can't expect not realistic with without legislature that that would approve of right and we're never going to see a tier licensing system but it would be so right because if i would have if you'd just followed the path that i luckily managed to get on 16 years old 125 17 years old 250 18 years old almost exactly 600 and then stayed on a 600 for a few years after that it's it's the only reason i'm alive it really is right yeah but on the flip side like i was on a leader bike within a year of myself having no license how old were you uh 19 20 
It's a, it's a different deal, right? I would. But I was a very, say, but I was a very mature writer. Sure, and I would say it's an exponent from fifteen to sixteen, and then from seventeen to eighteen. Each, it's a, it's an order of magnitude more of maturity in a lot of cases, right? It's like the, um, what's the earthquake thing? Richter scale. It's like a Richter scale. Like each yeah. each number is like a right. power of ten. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So that's why it's an exponent. So in that case, it. Yeah, everybody's different, sure. But that's why I'd want stepped licensing for young people. It'd be one thing if you're 25 and you decide you want to get the motorcycle, forcing a 25-year-old person, male, female, no. That, let them, yeah, you might have to start on something small to go through the, the schooling, but you shouldn't be limited because you have ostensibly reached an age of maturity that you're okay. Whereas 16, 17, 18, 19, shit, you can't even drink. But you can go to fight for your country when you're 18. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> but no, figuring that the age thing is of note. So no, trying no, no. to figure it out. Where's I, the I, break I, point? I don't think it'll ever happen. And then on the flip side too, like you put in a tier licensing system in the U.S. Now, like you're gonna you're gonna decrease the number of new riders into the industry by just magnitudes. Now maybe we'll retain those riders yeah. for longer. Yeah. Um, because we'll be training them and we'll be like doing like good things for them, but. I think this industry thrives on idiots that stay in the industry for two, three years and then either get really hurt, die, or just wise up and be like, hey, this isn't for me. Sad but true. And on that note, Quentin, hmm. I want to tell you about my most recent trip. Yes, do it. So I just literally last night got back from North Carolina slash Tennessee because I was riding the Tail of the Dragon, which is a road that I've been wanting to ride. It's in the Smoky Mountains. I've been wanting to ride that for like the last decade. When I lived in pennsylvania i heard about all the time i had buddies that would like make pilgrimages to it yeah sure and i just never got around to there's doing a lot it. of pride with it there's stickers i rode the tail on the yamaha fc10 the new um street fighter-esque motorcycle from yamaha which which i teased it earlier it's it's got the cross plane yeah engine from the current generation r1 now not the exact same engine it's a lot of different stuff in the head sure um I don't have the exact stuff in front of me. Tune for torque, probably. Tune for torque. Yeah. And that's something like, I think that's probably almost worth a podcast in its own about, you know, I think some of these guys like, oh, it's detuned. Oh, it's, it's, you know, they neutered it. Yeah, sure. It's like, well, do you really want to ride a 200 horsepower bike that makes all of its power like 10,000 RPMs and above? Or do you want a bike that's going to have a fat, meaty mid range of power where, you know, during street riding, you spend all your time? Which one do you want? And you make that adjustment through valve timing uh, and the camshaft and all that jazz. And sometimes it's got for, it's got a larger airbox. There's a, there's a lot more a different to it, but piston head, and there's a lot of there's a lot of changes. It's got a, a single injector uh, fuel injector. It's got a bigger airbox, different piston head design, different valves. Obviously, valve train. A lot of stuff uh, and different ECU, different electronics, which is probably the biggest change. So it doesn't have the IMU. It doesn't have the... No, no. No, unfortunately. Hmm. But again, hmm. like, are you going to be really using that on the street? At the end of the day, Yamaha is hitting a $13,000 price point. So and, and it has traction control. It has traction control. Yeah, it just doesn't have the IMU base. It's just very okay. rudimentary. So it's pretty freaking good, though. It's got, They've been doing it for a long time. You can turn traction control off. You can turn traction control to one, two, and three. So... Huh. It's either three level or four level traction control, depending on how you count it. Uh, and then it has three riding modes. One's kind of set up for kind of touring. 
one I would say is for sporty riding and the other one's more for like being a jackass. Not electronic suspension. No electronic suspension. Fully adjustable KYB suspension though. And then really shitty brakes. Really? Yeah, the brakes are horrible. Like the wooden the, feeling or like, or like I am pulling the lever as hard as I can to get this bike to slow down and just super spongy, crappy brakes. And huh. talking to my colleagues with me, universal across the bike. So it's not like I had a bike that wasn't bled right or anything I hadn't like that. seen a picture. I can't remember a picture of it. Are they like older style calipers? I mean, they're, people put R6 calipers on Jixxer thousands because they're so good. Yeah. It's it, um, maybe it's just a pad material decision. You know, yeah, I don't know what the decision was there. I, I'm curious if that's something like you put a a centered pad and steel brake lines and it fixes it, yeah. or if it needs a master cylinder, or if it really is down to the caliper design. You know, without having a bike in my in my garage and getting to tinker with it, I can't tell you what the the yeah, issue really is. Odd, but it was just like you kind of sit there and you're like, wow, these brakes really suck for a bike of 160 horsepower. These brakes really suck. And like, there's a few turns where I'm pulling the, putting the pressure I deemed in my head to be correct. And I'm going like, Oh, Hey, I'm still, I'm still coming to that turn way too hot and pulling the lever way too hard. It sounds to me a lot more like a, a a friction issue, like pads to rotor, just bad pad choice than it does actual power. Cause I, I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a radial mounted four four piston caliper, which is most, it's really tough to screw that up. With that said, there's been a few bikes that have had Nissan uh, master cylinders that for some reason just miss it. N- missing the Nissan, right? <laughs> missing the Nissan. Um, and it's weird because they Nissan makes great brakes and they make great brake master cylinders, but like a ride any um, Triumph 675 with a Nissan relative to, to one with a Brembo. I, when I bought mine, it had been crashed and the Nissan had been broken. So I just put one off an R1 on it and it was always great. So I never hurt, felt bad on mine, but I know that the ones I, you just grab it and it feels mushy. Sometimes that's a little bit of a, a, a red herring because you actually have to get moving and you feel, oh, okay, well, the friction is okay. It just feels a little mushy, but then that actually gives you some feel when you're out there sometimes. Sometimes it's the setup of where the lever is on the bar. You're actually playing with leverage wherever you have it mounted relative to the grip. So if you if you can move the the whole master cylinder mount point further away from your hand, you get more leverage at the end. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that can improve the right. feel of brakes right. uh, more than just clicking the little lever to get your hand in the right spot. So that's something that's a trick you'd use on the race bike. Sometimes if a rider was having a feel issue uh, and you couldn't overcome it with pads or you were having a real tough time with with whatever it was that was the feel and it was kind of a hard to describe you you move the 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 whole master cylinder up on the on the bar a little bit and play with the adjustment and it would come in right for that rider sometimes so anyway that's one of the things i'd be curious about because that's just weird to hear in this day and age bad brakes on any one of these it, new was, bikes. it was the weakest part of the bike the brake the braking system as a whole is the weakest part of the bike and it was a shame because that's that's where i think like you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, now this is this is one of the corners you cut from the R1 to the FC10 to make it work at a $13,000 price point. That, and I should say, full-time ABS. Can't turn it off. Can't disable the rear really? wheel. Huh. You're always going to have anti-locking brakes. No adjustments for intervention. Yeah. You get what you get. And for me, on a Street Fighter, and I've had the same complaint with the Aprilia because it's like that too. Like On a Street Fighter, if I can't lock up the rear wheel, then what's the point? 
Well, I mean, that's not like the only point of it, but like, yeah, like the whole thing about the much. Street Fighter is to be an asshole on the street. And part of that involves locking up the rear wheel. Hacking into uh, into a stoplight sideways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just, just, it's dank wheelies, dank stoppies. Um, All right. So, bottom, back to the. So, so you know, it's just like that, that's disappointment. Um, Good, good bike though. Not a great bike, but a good bike. Uh, I enjoyed I didn't enjoy it that much on the Tale of Dragons just because that road is so tight and technical and has a lot of elevation and you're breaking into um, tight turns and it's just, you know, it's a 463 pound bike that makes 160 horsepower. It's just way too much bike for this tight road. But there's some awesome fast sweepers around that area that have, and they've just been recently paved. And just like butter and like the chassis on the FC10, it's the same frame and same swing arm as the R1 with a different subframe and obviously different handlebars to accommodate. And different forks a little bit. Yeah. What tires were on it? Bridgestone S20s. That might be part of the braking feel thing. A lot of people are freaked out when you bring that up, but tires make a difference for feel on brakes. So for me, I, I, I could feel it the lever. I was pulling the okay. lever way too hard and way too far for what I was getting back from the bike. Um, I haven't heard of too many Bridgestones being good over the past 10 years, so I don't know. I, I, I've never really ridden with Bridgestones before, so that's, you know, I'm sure there's been some press bikes, and this one was one of note, but I spend most of my time on Pirellis, a little bit of time on Dunlops and Michelins, but Bridgestone, I've never bought a set of Bridgestones, so I should put it that way. Yeah. For, a, for being a... a Long-time advertiser of asphalt and rubber. I find it weird. I've never ridden on their tires. That's strange. It is. I, I even, used to buy. There was a can't speci- even get a freebie tire around here. Hey, killing me. Hey, uh, I I used to buy them for my ST2. There was a specific type. I can't remember. It was like a BT020 or something like Battle that. Battle X. Whatever it was, there was a specific. They would because they would wear well and they they were okay grip cold, which is always a big deal with me. But anyway, they would when they would wear at the very end. Holy crap, they were shitty. Anyway, sorry. Anyways, meanwhile, tangent. So good, um, good so, in so, general. That's the thing. So we got on those sweeping roads. Very neutral handling bike. It doesn't have like a quick turn in, but it it handles well. Feels very stable. My 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 only second biggest complaint would be the the throttle. There's there's the standard map, which is totally built for touring. And there's there's a part of Yamaha that's like, please go sport train with this bike. Please go turn with this bike. They've got a bunch of accessories and bags. some common parts. There's there's side bags. There's top cases. It shares the same top case mount as the FZ09 has and its parts bins. So there's already like a lot of those things out yep. there. It's fairly upright. It's comfortable. The rider triangle is very good for that. Uh, I found it to be a fairly comfortable bike, even being on it for like five hours and the yeah. sweltering heat no bum problem no no big it is with the seat's pretty good when you say it's sweltering heat what how oh hot my god it? it was so hot it was well, it was really humid it was like 90 degrees heat wise but it was like 80 percent humidity yeah, sure typical dirty dirty south what gross. you'd expect in yeah. north carolina in the where did you fly July. into Charlotte? knoxville 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 tennessee, tennessee. wow yeah. No, I'm not going to say it again. I was waiting for you. No, I'm not going to say it again. So um, flying to Knoxville and then how far about away? About an from- hour drive. Huh. Okay. One of the things that struck me was like when you have it leaned over and you're kind of doing maintenance throttle, like it can be really choppy. Like it didn't really have that 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 smoothness when you got out of the, even in the Turing map, which is the standard map, when you got in the A map and the B map, 
it was still very snatchy. And then the B map is really snatchy. That's the most aggressive map. And I found it way too aggressive for anything other than you're just ripping and tearing. That would be track day map. It would be like a track day and map. It, it, it was really okay aggressive. There. And it was, it's about how I found the R1 to be a very aggressive bike in its own right. And it made me feel like, okay, this is where the R1 roots are coming back, where it's like, it's very snatchy, very catchy. Does it hard. feel like your, um, hyper sps like the between like for yeah. me the sport mode and a hyper yeah. sp is super aggressive and there's a snatch to it because it, it you know it's brap, the, it's the, the race mode is very snatchy it's, it's like that but with, with a little bit more feel but on the same side like it surprised me how hard it was to get the the front of the bike off the ground like first gear second gear power wheelies like no no issue but like I mean, in second gear, you really had to like whack the throttle. Like it surprised me because I rode the Street Fighter today. I came out and saw you at the shop. I was riding my Street Fighter just because I wanted a little comparison. And, you know, so easy to get the front wheel up in second or third gear. You just kind of just give it a little goose. No big deal. But like the FC10, I'm like really working it. And you can get third gear power wheelies if you get a little help from the terrain. But were you not in the right part of the rev range, though? Because the peak torque on that bike is going to be way higher than peak you... torque is like six between six and eight thousand RPMs. Yeah, which we're on your Street Fighter. It's it's a little bit lower. lower. That, but that's the thing. Like I made a concerted effort to be in that torque range. And you're like, I need the dank. I need the dank wheelies. The Where dank are my wheels. dank wheelies? And like it, it definitely does the dank wheelies. But it was just a little surprise. I was like. I don't know if it's a gearing issue or or what the issue was there, but I was just like, huh. It just wasn't blowing my hair back like in the way that I was really hoping it would for a bike that looks like it came out of a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> I was really expecting like something gnarly, and it was really more civil in in some ways, and obviously, but that's some ways probably not. good for Yamaha to have something that is more civil. I mean, dude, a Street Fighter, a Ducati Street Fighter, is one of the gnarliest of the narnar motorcycles that's ever been produced it yeah. just is i had someone i had someone who was looking to buy one ask me about it today and that was like the first thing that came out of my mind i was like this bike's a beast like this bike will chew you up if you're not careful. yeah and i don't know how to you just sound like a ducati douche saying it and i don't no. want to be like that i know i know i sound like that but i'm not well, you kidding are. you are that guy i am i I'm i'll, I'll wear the hat too. i'll wear the gloves i'll wear the jacket i am that guy no doubt you get the tattoo but they are no i don't have any tattoos mm -hmm. but that is a gnarly bike and i don't know how to tell people that like you well, oh you have an 848 street fighter and you want a 1098 really do you do really because i don't yeah right you know i own a 1098 <laughs> i don't i would make that trade so if anyone wants to trade straight up for an 848 street fighter <laughs> i got a 1098 just give me a call the the but to, for yamaha to have something that's a little soft i mean not not when you say detuned it's not necessarily detuned it's no, no, no. tuned for torque it's, it's tuned, tuned for, torque. for they did everything they were supposed to do in that regard i think i think they're spot on with that decision i think maybe with a bigger rear sprocket that kind of changes some stuff uh the throttle map i don't know what you do about that but I, I could i could i could get over it just as easily but there's just some things that were like okay not not in love with it i still think it's a good bike i definitely think it's still a good bike i think compared to the european models that are out there that's the value buy right there 13 grand man you're gonna be happy well, what what else is it going against like so it'd be like you could look at it like the tuono or a bmw s1000 monster single 1200 R. for sure i don't even throw the monster in with there a monster to me is dead why? I don't like the monster. Yeah, I know you don't like it, but I mean... It, I don't think of it... First of all, I don't think the monster is a street fighter. I think it's a street naked. And second of all, there's nothing about that bike that I think viscerally is the same as the bikes you, I just mentioned. Huh. Which might be part of the problem why they're not exactly hot sellers. Whereas the 821 well, monsters are hot, hot, hot. Well, the monster 821 makes sense because it's so damn small. 
seat wise and stature like it's it's a small person's bike the yeah, monster 1200 much it's not that much smaller than a 1200 really because i feel like maybe i need to hop on one again but you should like it's not that much different i remember getting on at thunder hill with you and just feeling like i was on like a little pocket bike hmm. and i hated it I, I did ride the monster 1200 r recently yeah and if i had to buy a monster that would be the one i buy those things are gnarly any day of the week i would still not want to buy it though okay I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the Monster Line. I've never been a fan of the Monster Line, and they've done nothing to make me a believer. That might have to be a conversation. We'll bleed into the next one because I think there's we've some, already there's some stuff in the next show that we should talk about with that. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think yeah, I think you compare this bike, the FC10, to what the Europeans are putting out, Super Duke. You know, Super Duke, Tuono. Really? You're S1000. gonna put that with the Super Duke. Well, I'm just saying that it's the same demographic. Like Super okay. Duke's way more expensive, way more horsepower, way bigger engine. It's 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 outside the way class more expensive. I think you can get a new one for like fourteen grand because they languish you on showroom floors. You can supposedly get a new one for like yeah fourteen grand, but it's still an MSRP of like seventeen or eighteen thousand. Is it really? Yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, so I'm not going to sit there and be like what the market price is versus what the MSRP okay. is because that's a yeah. whole different can yep. of worms. Yeah, yeah, yep. and that's like saying like hey, you can get a BMW S1000R, you know, for thirteen five. Will you see one at your dealership? No. Oh, you're talking about what you can quote unquote order because nobody ever orders one that's a base model. Right. Base, base, base Base, with nothing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some weirdness in the European comparison. As far as the Japanese manufacturers, it's the most expensive one out there, but it's also the newest. It also has the most electronics. It also has, uh, the most power. Uh, I don't think it's the lightest, but it's, it's one of the lightest. Like it just, it's beating all the other Japanese uh street fighter type bikes handily on just about every metric you can throw in there so like i get if it's a little bit more expensive i think i think it's a thousand dollars more than the cowie and it's about 1500 more than the suzuki um gs gsx s1000 so i think they priced it well and i think they they gave it enough meat there it's a good bike i think the, the hardest thing is it just looks so damn weird and and for me it looks better it looks way better in person uh, and the looks are growing on me, but I'm kind of a weird dude and, and can get into that sort yeah. of thing. What I what I worry about is this idea like, hey, we're going to put, like Yamaha made a big deal about the steel subframe. And the fact like, okay, so that subframe is designed to have a passenger, a top case, and bags, you know, ripping and tearing down the, the miles on the highway. But like, I look at the demographic that's going to go do that. And I look at like the graphic scheme they put on there. Like this is a bike built for millennial and Gen X riders you know 20 20 something 30 somethings who are into weird stuff and want a cool street bike i don't really think that's the same demographic that's more like 40 50 years old that maybe had an fz1 or is like the the of that lineage there's looking for like a good solid sport tour like hey i'm gonna put bags in a windscreen and a, yeah. a top case and go like, i just i don't see them being into this because bike because it's too extreme looking because it's beginning. too extreme because it looks like transformers meets the eye yeah. So that that's my biggest concern. I'll be very curious to see who buys this bike. And I think Yamaha's gonna be very curious to see who buys this bike. Did, was that an indication at the press launch? Were they talking about were they was there a little bit of like, yeah, I don't know what we're doing with this? I can never really get a straight answer on that one. You know, I'd be like, So who do you guys see buying this bike? Who do you what's your target demographic? Who you know, what it's kind of customers are you naked? See? That's just what we do. Yeah, and I think I think for them it was very much like a segment kind of thing where it's like, okay, we've got an FZ07, we've got an FZ09, we'll have an FZ10, and this is kind of the they call it the aspirational bike in the lineup. 
And the FZ lineup is very much about value. The FZ09 is like eight grand. It's great bang for the buck. Yeah. The FZ7 is a great little cheap bike to get on. I think it's like six ish, six five or something like that. Super cheap. Um, the FZ10 being 13 grand. Again, great value compared to its yeah. Japanese and European competitors. And, and all those bikes, all, all those FZ bikes in the US and then all those MT bikes in Europe and abroad are just kind of edgy and they're kind of geared towards this younger rider. Um, Would you own one? I'm my street fighter is very safe in the garage. Yeah. Okay. Just, um, if asking. I didn't, if I didn't have a street fighter, it would be on my short list. Okay. You the, know, the, like the Duke 1290 is your, that's, that's, that would be the first one, right? If, if, if you I'm, didn't if, have a street fighter. If I, yeah. If I didn't have a street fighter today, the, the super Duke is probably my pick. Um, but I can swing an $18,000 bike. Yeah. So, uh, I like the Tuono a lot. The Tuono I think is great. I would love to have a Tuono for the track. Yeah, I think it's a better track bike. Um, obviously, having Portland International, it's it's a little too fast of a track for the Tuono. But if I lived like like near streets of Willow, well, maybe not streets, but if I lived on a track that didn't have like a hundred and sixty mile an hour front straight, if I had like a track that was like one hundred and twenty mile, like Laguna Seca, Laguna Seca is a perfect track for a Tuono. Turn one's fast, but you're not. It's not so fast for so long that like you're really. Huh, no, you didn't spend enough time at ORP. Because I need for to me, go. I need street, to go. RP. Street Fighter was just delicious there. Yeah. Until the A forty eight spat me off. But I definitely the, need to spend some time there. Um, th- that the ridge I've thought was great on a street. I don't even mind PIR. You just learn to put your hand on the fork tube like flat track style. Yeah. And you it's just, just tuck a lot in of, and go. It's just a lot of wind. It's a lot of work. But yeah, you know. Um, but that's where I'm at with the twenty. I like the twenty a lot, but it just it it has too much of the RSV four DNA in it. Mm. In, in the sense that it's like it's just a really really good track bike yeah um and again it's like can't lock up the rear wheel kind of some stuff there <laughs> that's so funny that you're fixated on i, that. I am because like, it's just it's a street fighter like it's like my supermoto or like this is a bike designed to be a jerk i want to go be a jerk on this bike if i'm riding my street fighter i'm being a jerk if, well if i'm riding most of my bikes i'm being a jerk that's a different story um the fc10 though like if i was on a budget yeah man i would look at it I'd look at it long and hard. I think I think if you're buying a, a Cowie or a Suzuki and not looking at the FC10, you're making a huge mistake. I think um, they're already being delivered. I saw and it didn't take long. They're just before, now hitting delivery. Before yeah. I saw a, uh, you were there, and I'm like, there's a advertisement for some dealer that has a black one, and the black one, it disappears. the 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 Michael Bay of it all disappears, and you just see a black. Uh, quasi standard looking motorcycle which i thought was okay yeah it's like i said like it definitely grows on you i don't think it's an ugly bike i think it's a little polarizing but what bike in this category isn't yeah you know like let's be honest like the super duke that's a weird looking bike even the tuono is a weird looking bike what bike from bmw doesn't have a quasi moto face i know you know so look at the look what's coming out of the japanese except for the honda the honda is like the most boring design i've ever seen which one i can't even remember which one we're talking cb1000r does that the one with the weird four spoke wheels? Yeah, and it just kind of, but it looks like it's a gas mask face. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's just kind of like, but yeah, if but you look at like it's the polarizing the, because it looks like it has a gas mask but, face. But compare that to like the Kawasaki Z1000, which just looks like like an insectoid. Yeah, you know that that's what we're up against. And then, <laughs> I like it's insectoid because it doesn't look like an insect. 
It's an insectoid. It looks like an insectoid because you're yeah. right. It has kind of a weird squished face. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, like it's like someone the? like looked over their shoulder and was like, holy shit, what's that? And then like they hit it with a newspaper and it just got that like smushed <laughs> face. I think it looks like something when I used to play Doom, a first person shooter original, and it, like you're going after the zombie, whatever, like gooey, weird people, and you come around a corner, you'd see that. You'd like, bah, well, right? <laughs> and they shoot it with the BFG. Yeah, the B well, I like the shotgun, right? Or the or the chainsaw. You could slice that one up with the chainsaw. That was always fun. To try and play the levels all with the chainsaw. That would be like, you know, that was good times. All right. Uh any any <laughs> other questions you have about the FZ ten, Quentin? No, I I I think we're done with that. I think we're done with that. Okay. Well, I think with that we'll wrap this one up and uh tomorrow we'll record the next installment, which is just gonna be a lot of Ducati talk. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. And what did you you had a name for it? Like it's the F and Ducati show. The fucking Ducati show. Because I just I just had a lot of Ducati the last yeah. couple of weeks. Right. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes down. How was the kickstand on the uh on the MT? You know, it's actually 10? funny. F, was it okay? F, was F, it easy F, to get down and up? F C ten. We're in we're in America now. Gotta be America. Oh, it's not an MT. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. All right. All right. Um, the the funny thing is like uh we stopped somewhere and I put the the kickstand down and and it was so hot that it like went into it the go- asphalt. Goed into the asphalt. And I was just like, oh man. That's that's a sign I've been living in Oregon too long. When like that doesn't occur to me that, that could yeah, happen. Yeah, you have to pick your spot where you're yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The irony, asphalt and rubber, kickstands up. Until next time. <laughs> Good talk. I'll see you out there. That might get cut from the show. I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure that's getting will. cut from the show. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs>